WSL Nation. Hello and welcome to a special official championship edition of our show. The Challenge Cup is officially done and dusted the Houston Dash rule the Wasatch Mountains for the time being. They got to take home a very nice vase that'll go great in their solarium or, you know, wherever it is that they decide to put a trophy case. Who knows? But uh, we've got a lot to hit on as we close things out until we see soccer or significant news again. I'm, of course, Steve Schwartzman, here with our resident soccer savant, Mike McPhee. Mike, how are you? Doing great, Steve. This was a great way to cap off a fantastic tournament. Excited for Houston. Yeah, feeling good. So, obviously, we had a quarterfinal with a little less spark. We had three straight PKs based on shutouts. We had what I would consider to be a very explosive semifinal, a total of six goals across the round. And it wouldn't be the Challenge Cup without ending things, I'd say, a little weirder. Uh, We had Sophie Schmidt scoring on on a penalty in the five-minute mark. We had Shea Groom shutting things out in stoppage time uh, with a semi-open goal. I think there were a lot of good scoring opportunities, but really we didn't see much out of Chicago that posed a strong threat. Of course, they were a team that's been riddled a lot by injuries. Maybe that played a role. I'm hyper-analyzing this without even pulling you in. Houston defeating Chicago in the final 2-0. Yeah, they take up the first Challenge Cup. Who knows if there will be other ones? Specifically about this matchup in the final, Mike, what are your thoughts? I thought it was pretty exciting. You had Chicago that came out really fast. Thought initially we would see maybe a repeat of their aggressiveness and some of those early goals that marked their semifinal. But then pretty unnecessary foul on Christy Mewis and Dash have a penalty in the fourth or fifth minute. Sophie Schmidt finishes that off. And beyond there, I, I think it was Houston's match. I mean, if you look at the stats, they were fairly even, fairly back and forth, but it just killed all of Chicago's momentum. And like you mentioned, they're playing without a lot of their key players And so that's definitely put them at a disadvantage. But apart from one or two chances, they never really looked dangerous. And Houston's defense controlled controlled the Chicago attack throughout. And of course, yeah, that Shea Groom goal to finish it off in stoppage time just sandwiched the game. So I think it was a decisive win for the Dash. A lot of fun to watch. I think I speak for most, and I don't think I'm being brash in saying that the results of the Challenge Cup is not near what most just about anyone would have expected, unless you are a Dash fan. Houston came in predicted toward the bottom of the table, found their way in the top half, nailing a four seed due to goal total, surviving an opportunity to have to play North Carolina in the semifinal, but outside of that, playing extremely well. We saw offensive flashes from them throughout the entire tournament. I suppose as we analyze Houston, we look at what they've put together, especially given what we saw out of them in previous seasons. What are your immediate impressions or thoughts about the Dash specifically after watching their performance throughout the tournament? You're completely right that this is not the champion that anybody anticipated, but I think they deserve it. They didn't come in as the favorites, but they had a really dynamic attack, of course, led by Rachel Daly, woman of the tournament, no question. And they found ways to fix the problems that they may have had in the preliminary round. They looked really good, especially in the last couple matches, but they deserved it. They showed a lot more promise than people anticipated, and they they deserved the trophy. Yeah, this definitely was going to be a matchup in a lot of ways. It was just going to come down. Like timing, I feel like, was going to be the biggest factor in in how this went. And for a while, it seemed like the storybook was pretty well written. It looked like the Kurds were going to run away with it. But obviously, we saw humanity out of them. And with that, it really just came down to, okay, well, which team is just hitting their note at the exact right time? 
Houston makes a lot of sense here in that we saw Rachel Daly and Shea Groom come into mind offensively and how they were able to peak things forward. I think Jane Campbell has been phenomenal in goal. And that's not anything unique considering how well just about every keeper has done in this tournament, but her performance over the knockout rounds has been exceptional, potentially above almost everyone outside of, you know, I'd say Britta Kerstrom had the best single match performance, but Campbell looked great throughout the knockout stage. You saw a lot of things timed well. Obviously, this is a team that it's been very open, is is looking to build off of their team chemistry, build off of some level of momentum to become a closer team, to build out a winning mentality for the future, which makes it interesting because if I'm correct, this roster is without a WNT player unless... No, you're you're totally correct. Jane Campbell has gotten caps with the national team, but she hasn't been on, on the roster in some time. And so just on yeah. paper, you wouldn't think that this is the deepest roster or the most talented squad. Um, there are a lot of national team players, Rachel Daly with the Lionesses, a lot of yeah. talent on Team Canada there. I think you're right that it, that it is about chemistry and it is about coming through at the exact right moment. Moment. We saw moments where where the team and individual players stepped up. You mentioned Campbell was a great one. Daly came through. There was a lot of support from Christy Mewis, Shea Groom. Mm. So yeah, I, Sophie Schmidt, I thought, had a good tournament. And so I was happy to see her get the goal. And it's, it's nice, Definitely. too, that I think it changes the narrative with the NWSL. Even though there is a lot of parity in the league, it's historically been the same teams that have been on top, right? We've seen the courage that have ran away with the league for the past two, three years. The Thorns have won a couple championships. Chicago has been in the playoffs consistently for years. You know, Seattle's been up there. So it's kind of exciting to see a different team showing that they can be on top. Yeah, I think that's really everything we can really say about the match on its own, obviously. So one thing that I thought was really interesting, we saw the ceremony. Now, Rachel Daly, we're going to talk about her overall awards, but Shea Groom taking the championship MVP you know, I thought was interesting. I think she deserves some level of just note. You She's know, dominant and, in the midfield, yeah. and then she is the perfect supplement for that Houston attack. I think it goes without saying what she has, of course, contributed. I, I think that's a perfect segue, honestly, to move right into the awards discussion. Before we do, do that, you know, this is official. Congratulations to the Houston Dash taking the inaugural Challenge Cup championship. They've been without deep playoff participation in the history of their franchise, so this may potentially be the spark for something pretty special in Houston. So, congratulations, Em. Congratulations to all Dash fans. I'm sure this is a fun time. And we'll we'll talk about what the league has looking forward, if they have anything looking forward. But my course, this doubles with the reveal of the Challenge Cup Award Hall. Hitting first, we'll hit the best 11 in a second, because I think that's a whole different discussion. But we talked about Rachel Daly. Rachel Daly taking home MVP hardware for the Challenge Cup. She also would take the Golden Boot. She was a top scorer. She had, she registered assists. I think there's a lot of reason behind that. Kaylin Sheridan taking the Golden Glove, top keeper throughout the tournament, and Ashley Sanchez with the Future Legend Award. Let's hit MVP really first, Mike. I think we'll just kind of make this rudimentary. A, how we feel about the award, and then B, if you could have awarded it differently, would you, and who would it be? So, Mike, we'll start the MVP. Rachel Daly, of course, taking this out of Houston. Your thoughts on that award? I'm going to back that one up. I think Daly has always been the greatest player for the Dash, but then she's also been the most consistent threat throughout the tournament. There have been other players that might have had really great individual performances, but I think she is the most valuable player on the team that won the cup. She's a versatile player. She's always part of a dynamic attack, and the speed that she has is constantly a threat. I think she deserves it. Where are you at, Steve? can't help but do the same i think she was the most prolific scorer 
she was the biggest offensive threat pretty visually. I think the only one that comes close just in terms of their scoring threat, probably Lynn Williams. Daly nearly registered a hat trick in her in the first matchup against Utah. She had a third goal that was pulled. And if that wasn't the case, I, I think at that point it would have set the tone. It would have seen nice. Outside of Lynn Williams, the only other name that I think even could potentially be considered is her teammate, Shea Groom. Groom dropped three goals of her own. She was a strong distributor, registered an assist. And we're, we haven't been shy about the fact that she scored the best goal in the tournament. <laughs> the Groom, I think, was a close discussion, but it's hard to deny Daly just based off of the stats she registered and the pulse that she gave Houston. I think her level of energy, her level of commitment, her level of attitude is, is what really drove that squad along. So hard to say no to that. Let's move into the Golden Glove, Mike. Kaylin Sheridan of Sky Blue, what do you think? This was a really tough call because this was the tournament of keepers. We saw so much phenomenal goalkeeping. I think I'm going to agree with the Sheridan call. I believe she had the most saves, good amount of clean sheets. I think other players that I'd put up there, as far as best individual performance, I got to go with Britt Eckerstrom in her match against the Courage, but she only played two matches in the tournament. Sheridan was consistent throughout. I mean, you got to give a shout out to Jane Campbell, especially in single-handedly saving her team in penalties against the Royals. Aubrey Bledsoe was up there for me, but yeah, Sheridan, Sheridan's the right call. Maybe I'm making this boring, but I agree with that as well. I, when you look at keeper stats, it's, it's amazing how close it gets. Leeds League and saves also defended the most shots on goal, tied for top in overall shutouts. I think when you go just up and down her general numbers, they tend to speak pretty heavily for themselves and was a driving force. We're talking about a sky blue team that rose their way to a semifinal, scoring a total of three goals through the entire challenge cup. And so that speaks to their defense. And I think that especially speaks for Sheridan. And then I think their final preliminary round matchup against North Carolina deflates her numbers to a point. If that matchup doesn't quite pan out the way that it does, if it goes more typically, maybe if North Carolina sits more players, we're looking at possibly a much, higher gap in some of her statistics. I thought Sheridan looked phenomenal. I think it's something to really be excited about. If you're Sky Blue, obviously you're building off a lot of success. To have someone that solid and goal is something to certainly be stoked about. Now we move on to the Future Legend Award. This one's really interesting to me because it could just go a lot of ways. There's a lot of rooks who didn't get high-quality minutes but made the best of them. There were some that got really strong minutes. And how do you gauge that? Of course, Ashley Sanchez takes this out of Washington. Mike, your thoughts on that award and, and where you might do things a little differently? I was really torn on this one because we did see some great performances from some of the rookies or the future legends, however they're calling it. Sanchez was really strong with the spirit. I think my other candidates would probably be Morgan Weaver with Portland and Evelyn Bien with Sky Blue. I thought both of them were really strong attackers and were a lot more sophisticated than their experience would indicate. I think I'll give this one to Weaver, her presence overall even on a Thorns team that struggled in the attacking third, but then also that she had the goal that sealed the upset of the tournament. So I'm, I'm going with Weaver on this, but I'm not at all upset about Sanchez. Where are you at on this one, Steve? Call it as you see it. Again, this might be boring. I'm taking Weaver as well. I liked what Sanchez put together on the pitch. I look at Weaver's general performance. Obviously, she scored what you could argue to be the most important goal of the entire tournament. That goal doesn't happen. We're looking at a potentially very different result across 
across the board. She spoke volumes just across the board in what she did with her minutes and anything outside of the stat sheet. I think that she was a, had a very young follow leader, you know, a servant leader level mindset. And by that, I mean, you know, obviously not coming in and trying to run the show as a rookie, but showing leadership and maturity at that young point and being able to feed off of some of the veterans. She was, I think, such a big emotional spark for that team, kept things positive, you know, played with the team mentality. So much of it played such a huge role. So, you know, when I walk out of this tournament and I think of who is the top rookie, her name is the one that comes to mind. If I'm not looking at anything and I just think of a name, her name is what comes to mind. I really did like what Sanchez put together. I think Sarah King would have had a really strong possibility if the Royals decided they could play her some more. She only registered 88 minutes in the entire tournament. I personally think it's a bit of a travesty. I would have loved to have seen a lot more out of her. And I think this might've been a more competitive discussion at the top of the list if she was able to register some more minutes because the little bit that we got out of King was highly impressive. Obviously, she had a great tying goal against Houston in their first matchup, but also just any minute she was on the pitch, you could see how fluid Utah's offense looked. I wish they'd have given her at least one strong opportunity, especially in the knockout round, but that's a different rant for a different day, Mike. I agree with you 100%. I'm wondering if, since this is our show and we can do what we want, we can give her like an honorary award, like best addition to the league. I really thought yeah. she deserved that because it's not just her. She scores in her debut to cap off that great comeback against the eventual champions, the Dash. But she um, just on and off the pitch, she is such a force. She has so much energy and enthusiasm. And I, I think she's going to be a huge contributor for that team. Yeah, I think you look at who's going to make an impact possibly for Utah moving forward as they have a lot of questions to be answered. She's someone that needs to be factored into all of that. We're going to move on from the awards into the best 11. Obviously, the best 11 has high influence from fan vote. I don't know off the top of my head, and someone can easily correct me if it's solely factored on fan vote, or at the very least, it plays a heavy role. So I think that does in itself determine what this looks like. Outside of it, I think there are a lot of questions on how this lineup looks. Before you and I jump in immediately to how what changes we would make, I'm going to give us each a chance to go, here's who I'd swipe out, here's who I'd swipe in. What are your immediate feelings? If you could pick three words or less, what would you say? How, how do you respond? Not too bad. I don't agree with all the choices. I wonder about the methodology too, but I, I think you had some of the better players represented. I just wouldn't agree with all the decisions. Yeah. I don't know. What were your impressions? I mean, if I had to pick three words, it would be scratching my head. There was a lot that really made me curious wonder i mean this was this is similar to the best 11 discussion we had last season where it really True. felt like it just came down to popularity who are the players that we can name and obviously fan vote determines a lot of that but that's really where a lot of this was driven especially because there's bonuses on players contracts that are derivative on this i think you need to make sure you put in some sort of filter. I'm honestly shocked to not see. I wouldn't have been surprised if Carly Lloyd or Alex Morgan sneak their way into this because somehow, right? Or honestly, a name I specifically expected to see was Becky Sauerbrunn because she she played enough to be in the voting. I, I voted in that poll. I was expecting to see her show up out of nowhere because she would have garnered enough of a fan vote. And that's the risk that you run when you use that as an influence piece, specifically for the award. If you want to do like a fan favorite version of it, that's one thing if you want to come out and say here's who our followers on twitter and instagram and what have you voted to determine their best 11 here's the official league best 11 on the side of it that's the risk you're on 
Yeah, I don't disagree with you. I think, well, there are a few I disagreed with. The thing that bothered me the most was how many teams were completely snubbed. I think we saw four players from the Courage, even though they get knocked out in the quarterfinal. We saw zero players from the Royals, Sky Blue, and the Rain, who all had decent tournaments, yet zero players on the best 11. That was what upset me the most. Four players from the Courage definitely, I think, broke this up quite a bit. And there were a lot of places, a lot of changes that you could make. Obviously, they rounded out across the entire league, but also put players that potentially were much higher deserving. Your perspective, Mike, as you've gone through your best 11, who are you taking out and who are you putting in? For my best 11, for the uh, front three, I have Dabinia, Lynn Williams, Rachel Daly. Mids, I've got Lindsay Horan, Vero, Rose Lavelle. Defenders, I've got Julie Ertz, Casey Short, Lauren Barnes, and Midge Purse. And then I've got uh, Kaylin Sheridan in goal. So I'm switching out Eckerstrom for Sheridan, Jalene Daniels for Midge Purse, and Abby Ursig for Lauren Barnes. I'm switching Shea Groom out for Vero. That's where we stand. I'm really curious for your 11, though. There were some similarities and some differences. Davina Lynn Williams, Lindsay Huran, I feel comfortable with. Rachel Daly and Shea Groom, I also felt equally comfortable with. I subbed out Rose Lavelle for Vero. I just don't think Rose put in the effectiveness given the minutes that she had. She looked very promising in her first couple of matches. I didn't see it toward the end. I thought Vero was a huge heartbeat for Utah throughout and is one of the leading assist getters. So that made sense to me. Myself took out Jaylene Daniels as well, subbed in Alana Cook. With the rain, I took out Casey Short, put in Kelly Hubley with Portland. She registered top five in multiple defensive categories. That was really the thing that stood out for me, to be quite honest. I, I didn't see strong performance from Casey Short. That's considered Casey Short scored a very momentum-swinging goal for them and, and did play well at moments, but you make the decisions you make. I also have Sheridan in for Eckerstrom. If you're going to be the top keeper, I don't understand how you don't make the best 11. No, those are yeah. those are good picks. I like that. I like the Alana Cook especially. And Vero, I think, has to be one of the biggest snubs. She was one of the best players in this tournament. 100%. I feel completely the same that way. The Mitch Purse move, I really like from your end. I'd say it's tough because technically it's you're trying to sub in a defender, and she technically is not a defender. <laughs> but she's listed as a mid, but she's a defender. You know, that's, that's how she was played. That's how she was effective. And I loved everything we saw out of Midge. I think she's someone who, you know, when I'm Blacko looking at the list, I personally might have Midge right at the top of my list. You know, a lot of similarities on our ends as far as changes for the best 11. I think there's some key differences. I think the answer overall is there were just a lot of directions that they could take. And I think what solves this is figuring out what your process for determining your best 11 are. Because I think there's a way that you can have some sort of fan involvement, still make sure that you're actually vetting these decisions so that you're giving them to proper players. The best 11, again, has bonus contingency for a lot of contracts. There's players who potentially were denied money because of how this mapped out. So it just really comes down to that. And this is an argument you have across sports, right? All-star picks, what have you. You know, when you open it up to the public, there's so many risks that you put in place. That's your award haul for the Challenge Cup. Really, the last thing I wanted to hit before we really put a bow on Challenge Cup discussions was the future of the tournament in general and where we go from here as a league in terms of what's the NWSL's next move. Lisa Bear did make mention as to some ideas of what we could potentially expect from the NWSL before the end of 2020. There's been a lot of discussion of with the Challenge Cup out of the way, is this the last we'll see of NWSL play? Do we open up other opportunities for clubs to play elsewhere? And we've seen that with some contracts. You know, one thing we haven't hit 
on is Sam Mewis signing with Manchester City in the Super League, potentially going to be joined by Rose Lavelle. So there's obviously going to be some overseas contingencies just with the way at the spectrum of sports right now, given the current climate. There may be opportunities for a lot of players to get some reps in, in other places before coming back to NWSL play. So rosters may look different. I think one of the main points that we got out of Lisa Baird recently was NWSL play in the identity of the Challenge Cup is probably not going to happen anytime soon. Another single host area bubble structure is something that I think the level of coordination and the level of support that they needed to get that done, probably not going to be happening again. And I totally understand that because it's just a lot of work. It's a lot of structure and a lot of risk. This Challenge Cup, for all of the positives, had the potential to be a bit of a disaster right off the bat. We lost a team, and there was high potential for this to turn into a big issue. That got mitigated well, and from there, things were managed really efficiently, and you had a great cup, and I think Lisa Baird is a phenomenal beacon for a lot of league owners as to how to run a situation like this, but the level of work that goes into this, the level of risk you play is tough. I know that there was mention of potentially just some regional matchups and almost mini tournaments. I think there's a lot of ways you could potentially make this happen. My question, Mike, first is, should the NWSL even be considering trying to finagle some sort of play elsewhere through the end of 2020? And if so, I mean, what what thoughts do you have? How can we make it happen if we're not going to be doing a repeat of a Challenge Cup style tournament? It's weird to think that even just a few months ago, the thought of the NWSL playing this year was, was even unthinkable. There was so many unknowns with the pandemic, with all the logistics that needed to happen. But the Challenge Cup came together so well nothing short of a success. That makes you question, where, where do you go from here? I think it depends a lot on the league's appetite for doing another bubble, because I don't think that we're in a position right now to be letting people travel back and forth all the time, playing in places like Houston or Orlando that, you know, are having a real problem with uh, COVID outbreaks. Players' health and safety, number one priority. I think the lack of communication, the lack of decision from the league is adding to that trend where we see Sam Mewis and possibly Lavelle wanting to go overseas because we have to remember next year's an Olympic year. And if there is no more NWSL matches for the remainder of the year, these players that are hoping to compete at the highest level for the national team could go eight or nine months without competitive soccer. I'm not too optimistic. Right now, I'm just soaking in the greatness that was the Challenge Cup, and we'll just keep reading the tea leaves is where I'm at. The difficulty of the spectrum is, and I've made this argument on this program and our sister program, WNBA Nation, we are teetering on a pretty rocky balance beam that falls into some pretty treacherous waters when it comes to COVID-19. We've never, as a, as a country, we really hardly, if at all, flatten this curve. We're already trying to open things back up. We're seeing areas that aren't making precautions in terms of face covering, social distancing, home orders, things like that. We're seeing the effect that is being made there. And the thing about it is, so far across these leagues, you're seeing pretty solid results. You're not getting a lot of positive tests across these bubbles and these leagues, things like that. That's good and that's fantastic. The issue I run into right now, and and it was the thought that I had this week, it's not necessarily so much that what's going to affect the mainstream is if we start seeing a bubble just filled with cases. Obviously, you don't want that. That's not good. My issue is actually, I think this widespread opening up sports is setting a a dangerous precedent 
sports is what sort of finally shut the country down efficiently and, and got people to start paying attention. The Rudy Gobert scenario with the MNBA is what really you started to see the domino effect. And it went, I think it went beyond sports. I really think you could say that that was such a huge kicker into the country trying to smarten up. So when you open sports back up, people have a mental correlation and what they're saying is, okay, so we can go back to normal now. And that to me is a dangerous precedent. Does that mean no sports whatsoever? Hard to say. It's hard to know what the balance is there. I would say that I wouldn't do anything that requires multiple teams in one flow. I would not have, I'd probably say head-to-head matchups at the most. My one main thought, something that you could do, and this also ties to the fact that we may see a lot of players going elsewhere for a while, and I think that's good, and I think that's okay. If you want to go play overseas in the UK, if you want to play in Australia, if you want to play, you know, wherever you're able to go and get some reps in, you might as well. Make some extra money, get yourself on a better stage, put some impression if you're looking to make a national team of some kind. I think there's a lot that you could build there. It's also a really good way to go get some unique reps, come back to your NWSL squad, and be an even more valuable asset, right? Because those types of reps really make you a better player. We see this in the WNBA all the time where players play overseas and they come back with new skill sets and abilities that allow them to be even more valuable than they were in the past. I think there's some health to that. I would love to see some sort of unique event. There's kind of two thoughts I had. One is let's give the Orlando Pride some play. And you could schedule a handful of friendlies against the Pride in, we'll pick three regional teams. Once a week, we'll fly a team down. And the idea is just like, we're just going to give the Pride a chance to play and and put in some reps. And they may not necessarily be playing for anything. I say you do something like that. And that couples between that and the Challenge Cup of having essentially an all-star weekend where you have eligible players who stood out from the Challenge Cup or are given specific invitation to be a part of this event. You have two team captains. You do drafts and select two all-star level teams. And you have kind of a fun all-star weekend somewhere in an arbitrary area where you're only now able, you only have two 20 to 25 player rosters and you're not dealing with a large, large, large amount of players all at once. You're focusing really on one event and a chance to, again, put the NWSL on another main stage. You could have it hosted arbitrarily by representatives from Louisville and Angel City and use that as a way to continue to promote those markets and the growth of the league while you're also promoting the current age of the league. Just give another individual chance for that. The other thought, I guess I have three instead of two, is to have an additional friendly. Let's do NWSL All-Stars versus the U.S. women's team. And that could be give interesting. Give a chance to stretch some legs. Give him a chance to see his current squad with high potential future members of his squad. And also just you know have a fun friendly that allows you to say, let's get the best of this league that may not be on that level of stage. Because that's something you run into as a marketing issue a lot with the NWSL is a lot of the attention goes to WNT players. So why not put WNT players on the same stage as other notable NWSL players and start helping promote them pretty heavily? Because you have a lot of players coming out of this that I think if the NWSL put a marketing machine behind them would do them a lot of good. Obviously, Rachel Daly's not going to be in the U.S. Women's National discussion anyway. The fact that you're not making her at this point a forefront marketing face of the league really makes me scratch my head. She's someone that I think that could move a lot of needles in a lot of ways. I think you can go up and down. There's a lot of play. You know, Mitch Purse obviously is one that we've talked a bunch about, right? We've, you know, you just really go up and down the list and this is a good way to kind of kick that off. So I would almost make it more of a a fun, unique event more than finding a way to get actual NWSL teams rudimentally playing in different areas. I think there's a way to really turn that into kind of a cool, unique event that people would love to see. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's that's an interesting approach to, to especially the the marketing side. I kind of like that. I did have a question for you, Steve. So we've we've seen this Challenge Cup now. It was a really big deal. Is this something you think that we'll see in future years potentially? Could we have this tournament even in years that have just a regular NWSL season? That's a great question. It was definitely something that I was hoping to get to kind of to cap things off. My feeling on the matter is absolutely 100%. I think this is something we should consider at the very least during off years, non-World Cup years and non-Olympic years, we should be considering having a, a Challenge Cup of some kind. I say to kick off the season makes a lot of sense to me and finding incentives for the winners to take on. And you almost now create, you know, you have your champion, you have your shield winner and you have your challenge cup winner i think it works naturally and would be a really cool way to kind of kick things off in a fun preseason way that allows players to all come together and to save time i'd probably do away with the stages i would base the rankings off of the previous season's performance and then just straight up do knockout stages get your current hall of teams do play-ins to get you down to eight teams and then just do rounds turn into you know two weeks at most of play so that you can make it pretty quick fun way to put everyone on neutral ground and this is an event that has a obviously in the future you're gonna be able to have fans at a type of event like this and you can find a way to turn this into a pretty cool extravaganza and you might be able to draw fans from every market because all the teams are going to be involved i think this turns into a pretty cool event where you have events surrounding the challenge cup events concerts meet and greets carnivals you know there's all kinds of stuff you can do to really turn this into a pretty fun thing that i think is pretty remarkable to kick things off and then the results of the challenge cup rides right into where the stage is set for the actual season you know right now we have nine teams in the league we're looking to expand in the next couple years but you see huge crowds that come out for the national team when they play in cities that don't even have an nwsl team what a fantastic chance to branch out into those cities and maybe lay the groundwork for future expansion or at least expand the market. I think that would be a great opportunity. 100%. There's so much potential to expand on growth based off what we saw from the Challenge Cup, based on the attention that we wrought. I think you could do a lot with it. I would truncate it. It doesn't need to be a month long and turn it into something that we can, you know, make it a pretty quick structure, rudimentary structure. And then again, I think that rides you immediately into the next season. And there's a lot of ways to make it unique. If you're worried about adding too many minutes for your high level players before the season even starts, have your rookies and some of your, you know, less heavy minute players become a part of this. And then it turns into a showcase of your younger players that also gets us kicked off and started. There's a lot of ways that you could put this together and still be able to meet some of the needs of your rosters. So I can't imagine they would just shut the light on this. I think it was a success that went beyond doing the best in a quarantine pandemic situation. I think this actually turned into something that you could see pretty, pretty cool. And you brought something up several weeks ago that I really like, which you would just turn this into an international club style tournament. You could turn this into your own style FA Cup type of situation. You know, we got to see North Carolina play in a tournament such as that. Let's host one here in the US with through the NWSL. I think there's ways to turn that into something cool. The one thing I'm curious about, how does it work during a World Cup or an Olympic year when you're already going to be truncating the season? There's already going to be a lot of roster difficulties because of availability. Where does that stand? How does that play out? I think there's a lot of questions there that make a lot of sense. I think you figure that one out as it goes, but in general, this just feels like a great opportunity for the league's growth that shouldn't just be left to one offshoot. And if it is, it's going to make for a phenomenal documentary someday, and it's 
going to be something a lot of us fans look back to and in a lot of ways might become a big turning point. We may be talking about the pre and post Challenge Cup eras of the NWSL because now we're rolling into league expansion and I expect to see a lot more attention being put on the league in general. When the pandemic hit, we didn't know if there'd be soccer. We didn't know if what the financial impact would be without fans or ticket sales. We thought our club's going to survive. And now not only have we passed that discussion, we've had a really successful tournament. We see the league expanding. We've got two more teams by 2022 at least. A strange time to be talking about the progress that we've made, but it's undeniable. I'm interested to see where they take it. I imagine they'll take it somewhere. I think the overall message we can give is, in my opinion, the Challenge Cup was a huge success and was something that fans really got behind. I walk out of it, even though my team didn't get the best result, I still walk out of it with huge positive vibes. I'm wearing my Challenge Cup shirt right now, my Nike Dry Fit Challenge Cup shirt that I got at nwslshop.com. They're not sponsoring us, but maybe they can someday. And I'm very excited. I'm glad that I got to be part of, you know, we got to cover it, talk about it. It was a pretty cool event. So there's a lot of positive things that we can say about it. A lot of things you could potentially improve upon. But in general, this was huge for the league and a huge precedent they set in the sports world in general. And I'm glad we got to be around for it overall. I'm with you there, Steve. This has been a lot of fun. Love chatting about it with you too. Probably the the funnest thing next to the the football itself. Yeah, definitely. This has really added some, some fun spice to it. We're looking forward to talking through things more. As far as the the future of the show, as things look now, you know, full transparency, we we will be taking a bit of a break. I think we have some legs to stretch. Many who listen to the show when it kicked off know that this was a bi-weekly at at most program for a long time. So you would hear from us once or twice a month. And we put together somewhere along the lines of six programs in three weeks, plus some crossover episodes, plus other content. And that's exciting and fun, but uh, we're looking to take a break, stretch our legs a little bit, figure out kind of what the next step is. As news comes up, as new opportunities, Opportunities arise for playing opportunities for the NWSL and the league in general. I expect us to come together. We've already discussed some ideas that we may be generating pretty soon as far as some special content that's unique to responding to rudimentary sports as well. So be on the lookout for that. That said, we are going to be a little radio silent for a while, but we will still be in the middle of the discussion online. So of course, you can follow us over on Twitter at NWSL Nation Pod. Be in the know there. Any updates with the show, you'll hear from there. Any other discussion and response, it's a good place to be. There's a phenomenal community of NWSL fans on Twitter and Instagram and beyond to be a part of if that's not something that you're doing currently. Of course, if you're listening to the show on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else that has any sort of rating system, we would love for you to render us a five-star review or a comment, anything that really helps us boost our opportunity to get in front of new new fans and things of that nature. Our sister program, the WNBA Nation podcast, will still be running. Obviously, the WNBA season did just kick off, barely got started. We're right in the middle of the initial games there. That's going to be running through October. So if you're looking to continue to support women's sports there you have it right there we're seeing some updates with the nwhl across the board as well there's a whole lot for you to dive into to support women's sports and we absolutely hope you do we'll be back very soon this is i wouldn't expect us to be on for for all too long but you know we'll stretch our legs a little bit mike before we we close things out is there anything else you wanted to touch on bring to the table any last parting words well you put me on the spot now but no this is this has just been such a fun journey so glad we could be there glad we could watch and discuss been a ton of fun could not agree with you more. I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's been fun doing this with you, Mike, and it's been fun sharing this time with each and every one of you listening and beyond. We will be back soon to discuss more in the world of NWSL and women's soccer as it comes. But until then, thanks again for listening. I'm Steve Schwartzman. I'm Mike McPhee. And we will catch you next time. Keeps in the smell of the promise. Great
Justin sings like that song that I